0: Section 33 The French Revolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The French Revolution by Hilaire Belloc. Section 33, Chapter 6 Continued The Revolution and the Catholic Church while in the wealthy the bureaucratic and the governing classes to ridicule the faith was an attitude taken for granted seriously to attack the privileges or position of its ministers was ungentlemanly and was not allowed it did not shock the hierarchy that one of its apostolic members should be a witty atheist that another should go hunting upon corpus christi nearly upset the blessed sacrament in his gallop and forget what day it was when the accident occurred The bishops found nothing remarkable in seeing a large proportion of their body to be loose livers or in some of them openly presenting their friends to their mistresses as might be done by any great lay noble round them. That a diocese or any other spiritual charge should be divorced from its titular chief seemed to them as natural as does to us the absence from his modern regiment of some titular foreign colonel unquestioned also by the bishops were the poverty the neglect and the uninstruction of the parish clergy nay and this is by far the principal feature the abandonment of religion by all but a very few of the french millions no more affected the ecclesiastical officials of the time than does the starvation of our poor affect let us say one of our professional politicians it was a thing simply taken for granted The reader must seize that moribund condition of the religious life of France upon the eve of the revolution, for it is at once imperfectly grasped by the general run of historians, and is also the only fact which thoroughly explains what followed. The swoon of the faith in the eighteenth century is the negative foundation upon which the strange religious experience of the French was about to rise. France, in the generation before the Revolution, was passing through a phase in which the Catholic faith was at a lower ebb than it had ever been since the preaching and establishment of it in Gaul. This truth is veiled by more than one circumstance. Thus, many official acts, notably marriages and the registration of births, took place under a Catholic form, and indeed, Catholic forms had a monopoly of them. Again, the state wore Catholic clothes, as it were. The public occasions of pomp were full of religious ceremony. Few of the middle classes went to Mass in the great towns, hardly any of the artisans, but the churches were official. Great sums of money, including official money, were at the disposal of the church, and the great ecclesiastics were men from whom solid favors could be got. Again, the historic truth is masked by the language and point of view of the great Catholic reaction which has taken place in our own time. It is safe to say that where one adult of the educated classes concerned himself seriously with the Catholic faith and practice in France before the Revolution, there are five today, but in between lies the violent episode of the persecution and the Catholic reaction in our time perpetually tends to contrast a supposed pre-revolutionary Catholic society with the revolutionary fury. Look, say its champions, at the dreadful way in which the revolution treated the Church. And as they say this, the converse truth appears obvious, and they seem to imply, think how different it must have been before the revolution persecuted the Church the very violence of the modern reaction towards Catholicism has exaggerated the revolutionary persecution, and in doing so has made men forget that, apart from other evidence of the decline of religion, it is obvious that persecution could never have arisen without a strong and continuous historical packing. You could not have had a Diocletian in the 13th century with the spirit of the crusaders just preceding him. You could not have had a Henry the with if the england of the fifteenth century just preceding him had been an england devoted to the monastic profession and you could not have had the revolutionary fury against the catholic church in france if the preceding generation had been actively catholic even in a considerable portion as a fact of course it was not and in the popular indifference to or hatred of the church the principal factor was the strict brotherhood Not so much of church and state as of church and executive government, but there was another factor. We were describing a little way back how in France there had arisen, during the movement of the Reformation, a wealthy, powerful, and numerically large Huguenot body. In mere numbers it dwindled, but it maintained throughout the seventeenth century a very high position, both of privilege and, what was its characteristic, of money power and even to-day though their birth-rate is of course lower than the average of the nation the french huguenots number close upon a million and are far wealthier upon the average than their fellow-citizens it is their wealth which dominates the trade of certain districts which exercises so great an effect upon the universities the publishing trade and the press and in general lends them such weight in the affairs of the nation Now the Huguenot had, in France, a special and permanent quarrel with the monarchy, and therefore with the Catholic Church, which, precisely because it was not of the vivid and intense kind which is associated with popular and universal religions, was the more secretly ubiquitous. His quarrel was that having been highly privileged for nearly a century, the member of a state within a state and for more than a generation free to hold assemblies separate from and often antagonistic to the national government these privileges had been suddenly removed from him by the government of louis the fourteenth a century before the revolution the quarrel was more political than religious it was a sort of home rule quarrel for though the huguenots were spread throughout france they had possessed special cities and territories Wherein their spirit and to a certain extent their private self-government formed enclaves of particularism within the state. They had held this position, as I have said, for close upon a hundred years, and it was not until a date contemporary with the violent settlement of the religious trouble in England by the expulsion of James II that a similar settlement, less violent, achieved, as it was thought, a similar religious unity in France but that unity was not achieved. The Huguenots, though no longer permitted to exist as a state within a state, remained for the hundred years between the revocation of the Edict of Nantes and the outbreak of the revolution, a powerful and ever watchful body. They stood upon the flank of the attack which intellectual skepticism was making upon the Catholic Church, and they were prepared to take advantage of that skepticism's first political victory. And since the Revolution they have been the most powerful and, after the Freemasons with whom they are largely identified, the most strongly organized of the anti-clerical forces in the country. The Jews, whose action since the Revolution has been so remarkable in this same business, were not in the period immediately preceding it of any considerable influence, and their element in the coalition may be neglected such then was the position when the revolution was preparing within memory of all men living the church had become more and more official the masses of the great towns had wholly lost touch with it the intelligence of the country was in the main drawn to the deist or even to the purely sceptical propaganda the powerful huguenot body was ready prepared for an alliance with any foe of catholicism and. In the eyes of the impoverished town populace, notably in Paris, which had long abandoned the practice of religion, the human organization of the church, the hierarchy, the priesthood, and the few but very wealthy religious orders, which still lingered on in dwindling numbers, were but a portion of the privileged world which the populace hated and was prepared to destroy. It is upon such a spirit, and in such conditions of the national religious life, that the revolution begins to work. In the National Assembly you have the great body of the commons, which determines the whole, touched only here and there with men in any way, acquainted with or devoted to Catholic practice, and those men for the most part individual and eccentric, that is, uncatholic, almost in proportion to the genuineness of their religious feeling among the nobility the practice of religion was a social habit with some as a mental attitude the faith was forgotten among all but very few among the clergy a very wealthy hierarchy no one of them prepared to defend the church with philosophical argument and almost unanimous in regarding itself as a part of the old political machine was dominant while the representatives of the lower clergy, strongly democratic in character, were at first more occupied with the establishment of democracy than with the impending attack upon the material and temporal organization of the Church. The End of Section 33